Welcome to the OT lifestyle movement. This is for the occupational therapy visionaries and the ones who see things differently. We're moving our profession forward through living and leading a truly holistic lifestyle. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to the OT lifestyle movement podcast. I'm Rhiannon Crisp, occupational therapist, personal trainer, and founder of otlifestylemovement.com. Today, we are diving deep into how to build your own holistic OT practice. And we've got someone on the show today who has totally got the expertise and the know-how in this area, and she's going to be sharing all her tips with us. Super excited. We are speaking again to Emmy Vadness. So Emmy is the founder of holisticot.org. She's an occupational therapist, intuitive healer, teacher, writer, and consultant. She provides intuitive development, integrative and holistic health, wellness and prevention services, and education to individuals, healthcare practitioners, and organizations. Welcome, Emmy. Thank you for having me, Rhiannon. Pleasure Back to be with on. you. Back on. Yeah. <laughs> Back on for round two. I'm ready. <laughs> so we spoke earlier about holistic OT and our scope of practice. And guys, if you missed that, make sure you go back and check it out um, because there's so much gold in there. And we've got Emmy back again because she is an absolute trailblazer in the industry. And first of all, I just want to say thank you for being brave enough all those years ago to step out there and to follow your heart and do the work that matters to you. Um, because I know the community of OTs right now are very grateful for mm. the work that you have done. Um, Thank you for saying that. It's been quite a journey, as they say. <laughs> it has. It has. And if you want to hear more about Emmy's journey, go back and listen to that, that first podcast that we did because there's lots of, um, lots of nuggets of gold and um, inspiration about her journey and what led her to what she's doing today. So let's start. We always hit the rewind button first. So let's rewind the clock. And this time, I'd love you to talk a little bit how your holistic OT business evolved, because that's what we're going to be talking about today is about business and creating your own OT holistic practice. Yeah, great question. Well, I remember being, um, like I mentioned in the earlier podcast, I've been an OT since 1996. And I remember uh, taking classes in OT school and them talking about being a manager or having your own business. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm so many years away from that. So I just, it wasn't even something I thought I would ever do, to be quite honest with you. I always thought I would be employed and just kind of, you know, I don't know, just go to work and, and play <laughs> when I wasn't at work. Um, but uh, as I had mentioned, I took kind of a, a bit of a um, unique path in my career um, just a few years after being an OT. And so I um, actually, when I worked at that holistic health and wellness center, I found that besides meditation, one of the best ways that I could help with my stress management was receiving massage therapy and getting various forms of body work. And so I decided to go to school to become a massage therapist. And I uh, had my own massage therapy and reflexology. I'm also um, an Amer American board certified reflexologist. And so I had my own practice, um, well, for doing that for many different years at different incarnations, but for about four years in, in a solid straight fashion. And so um, having worked at the Holistic Health and Wellness Center, you know, as an office manager, 
I also um, helped with bookkeeping and some of the admin at my, my husband's restaurant. And, uh, and then having my own massage practice really taught me how to have a business and, and do that. And so when I finally decided to embark back on my own as an occupational therapist and, and I learned how I could bring uh, what's now known as integrative health, uh, sometimes referred to as alternative medicine, uh, into occupational therapy, that I had a good sense of how to, um, you know, quote market, how to find people I wanted to work with, how, why it's important to have a business plan or to at least have a mission statement at a very minimal level. In fact, a lot of what I've learned about having my own practice, <clears throat> I learned in a business class in massage therapy school. Um, and so <clears throat> that's really what got me started. And um, from there, I just felt confident because to me, it was just really a segue into um, how I wanted to work as an OT in this unique way, bringing in integrative health. And by the way, I just want to mention that I would encourage all of you to be careful when you use the word alternative medicine, because I think that implies, <clears throat> well, technically, there's a definition of it that that actually says that it's something that does not have efficacy-based research. It falls outside of mainstream healthcare. So really integrative health is when we take complementary approaches that do have efficacy-based research, and then we bring them into mainstream healthcare. And the reason why I think it's important to use those terms of integrative health versus alternative is because I think just the word alternative can keep it separate. It can make it sound like it's not legitimate. So I just want to offer um, that component, but, but that's how I got started. Mm, interesting. Can mm -hmm. we, while we're talking about that, can you just touch on what integrative health is and, and what falls with it under this umbrella of integrative health? Yeah. So integrative health is really taking what um, is known as complementary medicine. So that would be things that have formerly been known as alternative medicine that have efficacy-based research, but then bringing it into mainstream healthcare. So basically when you're combining something like yoga or meditation that has, we now know that it has um, a lot of research. Now we don't, we can't say that everything's going to work hundred percent of the time with hundred percent of the people, because that's not true of really any technique or intervention, but we do know that it can, for example, in a lot of cases, help people with um, strengthening or with balance or with tension or pain and so forth. So then you're, when you bring that into your mainstream healthcare, then it's integrative health. Okay. Great. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Helps clarify it. So where do OTs get started if they have a vision or if they've got something that they're super passionate about and they're thinking of starting their own practice, what are the first steps that they need to take? I think the very first step, kind of dovetailing on listening to your heart and your intuition, is what is your vision? If you could wake up every day doing exactly what you want to do, working with the people you want to work with, serving how you want to serve, and enjoying doing that, how, what would that be? Who would you be serving? How would you be helping them? Where would you be? What would that look like? How would your energy flow throughout the day? And I think that that's a really great exercise. Somebody suggested that to me many years ago, and it was one of the, the it was really the catalyst for helping me create and manifest what I have now. Um, if I hadn't taken that step, I, I wouldn't have had that solid foundation from which to build um, really my, my mission statement. So from there, then I was able to start that mission statement and get things going. Mm. So what's I mean, there's many, there's many components to starting a practice, I, you know, but that's, that's just a very fundamental one because I think that, um, well, I know there's, there's strong research that a person's intention, your focus, attention, and intention is more likely going to manifest something than if you don't have your focus, attention, and intention. And if it's in alignment with your soul's purpose, 
however you believe that to be, your interests, however you, you know, conceive that to be, that it's likely going to manifest more likely for you in a way that benefits your life and benefits others. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. When you're doing the things that you love and that light you up, you're going to bring more meaning to the world and people are going to really, they, they feel that energy, right? They can feel energy. Yeah. And why would you want to do something you don't enjoy or love? I mean, I think that, yes, people, some people could argue work is work, but I would also say um, it's important to have um, an interest and a passion in what you're doing. And so I think that for those of you like myself who went into OT and are finding, maybe some of you might be finding that it's not quite what you thought it would be, or you're working in environments, or you have a vision of how you'd like to serve that you're not seeing that's happening, you know, be part of the solution and go ahead and listen to that calling. And I know it takes a lot of courage. I've cried a lot of rivers, you know, streams and rivers over, over many years um, because it took me a while to really allow that to birth out of me of what that was going to be. And, I, and, and my hope and wishes is that somebody like myself who has done this can support all of you to have your journey be um, a bit easier. Hmm. Okay. And you mentioned two things earlier. You mentioned mission statement and vision. And I think they are very important things that we need to be looking at. Can you talk about those two things and what we can practically do to create a vision and to create a mission statement? Sure. So my understanding is that the vision is part of the mission statement. It's really what you aspire to be. It's the best vision of what you want your practice to be. So, you know, it's, um, my practice will serve people with blah, blah, blah condition or blah, blah, blah experience. And we, we will serve them in the best ways that we can. The mission statement, when you go further into it, is how you're going to do that. So it's what, it's what, um, it's answering some of all of those, you know, who, what, why, where, how, when kind of questions so that you can get clear again on your focus and intention. Because to me, it's really like dialing into a radio station. The more that you're clear in that energy pathway and, and, and allow yourself to take a little bit of time. And I've done this too. And I review my, my mission statements. I have one for the holistic OT community and also for my Emmy Badness, my business, which by the way, the holistic OT community technically falls under my business, um, that I look at those annually to, you know, make sure that they're really in alignment with how I want to serve and what's bubbling up within my consciousness and how I'm wanting to create. And so I think it's important to allow yourself to take, you know, you might need to take a month or a little bit longer to really, you know, craft that, but also know that it's something like we know as OTs with our goals and everything in therapy that's malleable. You can adjust and change as you go forward. But I think finding something that dials into your energy frequency, what's going on in your mind and heart, I think is a really great place to start. Mm, awesome. With the vision, do you write out like a vision statement or do you have a vision board? What do you, what do, you do for your vision? Well, everybody's different. I think some people, you know, we're OTs. I think we're, I mean, I think we're really a creative group of people and we love to probably get out our scissors and our glue sticks or glue guns or whatever you're using and craft. And so if that would be, you know, I've done that over the years where I've gotten out magazines or old greeting cards or, you know, and gone ahead and created um, a vision board of maybe you know, some people call them mood boards, like what interests you, or maybe, you, you know, it, you can do it in various different ways. You can just, you know, look at images or words that inspire you and you can put that up on a board if you would like. Um, my process, because I tend to, um, well, I guess I, I like to read and write <laughs> my process and I love to create images too as well, but 
Uh, mine, when I was creating it, was a lot of words. It was an, a notebook where I just wrote down, and even the, the term holistic occupational therapy, it took me a few months to really come up with that, with that term that um, really was right next to me the whole time when I saw the holistic nurse clinicians. I'm like, oh, I even had that thought years ago, holistic OT, but it took me a while to come to it. So I think that um, whatever process works for you, it could be going on a walk, it could be having a conversation with a good, with a loved one and having them just listen to you and, and reflect back to you. There's various ways to do that, yeah. I love that. And I'm very much like you. I tend to write it out. I tend to, I love soaking up information and getting inspired from podcasts or videos or other people who I find really inspiring in the area that I want to work within. And I take notes and I sort of collect this over time and, and sort of work out where I'm headed from there. Like, what do I want to see in a year from now? What do I want to see in five years from now? Where do I want to be in 10 years? How, like you said, how am I going to feel? What's it going to look like? And really asking all those questions because the clearer that we can get on that, the more that we can take the action steps necessary to get there. Yeah, and I also just want to highlight with the business plan, I, I, well, first of all, I think what's really cool about us as OTs is we know how to do treatment plans. We know how to create a treatment plan. And to me, a business plan is really the same thing. It's just a treatment, a business plan for your practice is really like how we write treatment plans. And so um, I think that that's something that hopefully can help you feel a bit more comfortable when you approach it. And also, I think it's important to not get bogged down with thinking that you have to be super... Um, you know, articulate in every particular area and corner of your business plan, um, unless you're wanting to seek funding or get out some type of, take out a loan or something like that, that might be necessary for your financial institution. But uh, to, to not feel like you have to get bogged down and that you can at least, you know, have that fulcrum of that mission statement to get you started. But I think it is good to think about, you know, how many clients do you want to have per month? How many days a week? What days of the week do you want to see clients? Um, what pieces of equipment do you need to have? Um, do you have the financial resources to get everything you want now? Now I didn't at the time because my financial situation was going up and down because of, of how I was, you know, wanting to, to work. And, um, and so I really just made a list of the basics that I needed. And then over time I added other, other ones, but I've actually come to learn over the years that, um, at least for my practice, unless you're doing like a pediatric, you know, and having all sorts of equipment, I, I'm pretty minimalist with, with the equipment. And that's one of the reasons I went to massage therapy school is because I wanted to be able to help and heal and support people with just my hands, just me, um, which is also why I think people are interested in energy healing and Reiki as well, is that, you know, as OTs, I, I, for me, it was um, a little bit disempowering. I mean, necessary, right? That we need to help, that we could help people if they had some type of health condition. But I feel more empowered knowing that I can help people with or without a particular diagnosis. Absolutely. I agree. Um, and I think we often need to look beyond the diagnosis as well. Even if a client comes with a diagnosis, that only tells us so much about the person. There is so much more that we need to learn and that we need to know in order to help them. And that goes far beyond what any diagnostic criteria can tell us about a person. Yes. And, um, you know, that piece around meaning and purpose and finding out what gets somebody, you know, up every day. And also, I think I touched on a little bit in the last conversation around beliefs. And, um, you know, I've learned that, that it's sometimes a good question to ask people, do you even think that you can get better? How much do you believe on a scale from zero to 10 that you can reach your goals? Because if there's something that's even keeping them from being able to manifest what they desire, 
we need to look at that, right? And and mind you, you know, sometimes the question comes up of, you know, how much mental health we're doing and so forth. I do a lot in my practice. I certainly do refer out to mental health practitioners sometimes um, when necessary, but sometimes people uh, find that, that how I'm helping them can sometimes, you know, be more holistic. So everybody's different on what they're seeking and how they can best be served. Mm. All right. So there are a lot of holistic services out there these days, right? There are, everyone claims to be holistic. <laughs> what is our point of difference as OTs? How, what, what do we bring to the table that no one else is bringing? Well, I mean, I think you're right. I think that there's sort of a, um, I mean, initially, I think the occupational therapy profession has been unique in that we started out in mental health and that we started out treating people's hearts, minds, and spirits and their physical bodies simultaneously. So right there, that's holistic. Um, I think you're right. Over recent years, more practitioners are recognizing the mind, are recognizing diet, nutrition, are recognizing things like sleep. And so more practitioners have become more holistic in how they work with people. I think that's a really good thing. Um, that being said, as far as what we can do as occupational therapists, I think that, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody who's really interested in coaching and where the line is of a coach and somebody who does occupational therapy and coaching. And I think what's unique to us is that we do understand the mind, body, spirit connection. Um, but also we have that activity analysis aspect. We understand the neurobiology, the kinesiology, um, you know, all the different systems that are involved, the sensory system. I think a lot of the other thing that I just want to mention too is with integrative health, that it really um, crosses over into sensory integration because it's really what we're working with in a lot of ways. So, you know, OTs are really advanced trained in my opinion on, on those aspects um, and you could, you know, you can also see this with like yoga practitioners, some yoga practitioners who don't have any, are, are an unlicensed practitioner, um, who maybe have been at it for 10 or 20 years. They're really doing some remarkable things with people's mind, body, and spirits. Um, but that I think that that's not as common. And I think that as OTs, that's something that we have that education and background, um, with that. But we, I also want to, you know, recognize that there's a lot of other practitioners doing a lot of great work out there as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And we're just bringing it back to basics. We focus on occupation. So we, we can help people with quality of life. We can help them with bringing purpose and meaning to their life and the everyday things that matter. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, on that comment about how I mentioned earlier, I think it was in the other conversation about mind, body, spirit being cliche. And it sounds like holistic is maybe also, um, I think that a lot of people are really, uh, have good intentions and are really wanting to help people from a, from a holistic perspective. But I think that it's important for people seeking out practitioners to look at their background and to understand what kind of training they have. Um, some practitioners try to treat everything under the sun with diet or essential oils. And I think we need to be really careful of that. Um, and so, you know, everybody's got, everybody's on their own path with, with what appeals to them for their healthcare. But, you know, there are some things that um, you want to pay attention to as far, as far as how you're presenting, you know, since we're talking about OT, two OTs here today, you, you want to be careful how you're presenting your, your material and, um, and so forth. We talked about that earlier too. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. What would you say are some practical tips that you give an OT who's starting out running their own private practice? Well, I think that 
staying with that initial passion and joy within yourself. And, um, you know, there's so many moving parts to having your own practice from, you know, having your space clean, <laughs> you know, um, having lighting, sound, um, you know, all the different pieces of equipment. Sound is a big one, by the way. I, this is something that really came from experience for me when I'd rent different offices is, you know, I would encourage if you're thinking of renting a space to go and spend time in it and notice what the sound is. If you're in a building with other practitioners, can you hear them speaking? Um, those kinds of things. Um, marketing, obviously, I know is on everybody's minds as well. And so I would encourage you to like a treatment plan, to look at your long-term goals, but to you know, do things in chunks and to think about how many hours a week. So you don't get burned out doing this. You got to take care of yourself. You know, how many hours a week do I want to spend on marketing? Maybe a couple hours. Um, how often do I want to create new content, right? We all are our own superstars these days, right? Online with making videos and putting out articles or, you know, going live is like everybody's going live, which is awesome. Um, but I think it's good to have well-crafted content and to really know what it is you want to share. Um, but also to, you know, recognize that you want to be in the flow of your passion when you're creating those things so that it's enjoyable for you. For many years, I would create things that I was like, oh, it was like I was trying in earnest um, and sometimes that brought fruits, of course, to my labor, but I've noticed over the years that when I, you know, can get into that more relaxed, intuitive state of mind and really listen to what's bubbling up in me, what I'm hearing from other people, this is something I try to do with the holistic OT community is listen to what people are talking about. Um, like you, what are people, what are the questions people are asking and so forth? So think about your target audience, you know? Uh, what are what is it that they are seeking out and putting out good solid content that has value that will add value to their lives so that whether you're doing a blog of a, a, a written blog or a video or whatever you're doing that it's something that will meet um, your audience's needs and desires because that's how they're going to look to you as somebody who can be a valuable or invaluable resource for them. Mm, so many great tips there. And I do want to touch on the target audience that you mentioned. So how do OTs work out their niche? How do they work out who they are going to be delivering their content to? And how important is a niche? Mm, good question. Well, um, I don't have an MBA, so there might be some data on this. Um, I have seen that people, uh, as far as data goes, that if they have a business plan, some people can be, by the way, successful without having a business plan, but you're more likely to be successful with one. As far as having a niche, I think that um, I think it's uh, can be helpful for you to know who you want to work with. You know, of course, we can say because we are trained as generalists, we can help literally everybody. But the truth is, is that you might have more of an interest in a particular age group, a particular demographic. Um, it could be a particular particular kind of condition people are dealing with. And so, I think that what I've heard from people who do have those expert degrees in marketing say that as you, as you can focus a little bit more, you actually can reach a larger audience because if you put yourself out there as being too general, most people are not going to be able to identify themselves in your practice to seek you out, right? Because if you want to get occupational therapy for your child, you're probably going to go to a pediatric OT. If you're wanting help with a hand injury, you're probably going to go to a hand occupational therapist. So you, you, yes, all those other therapists also have training in, in serving other people. Um, 
and it's really, you know, individual on, on what speaks to you with all of that. But, you know, it's, uh, it's just being able to, you know, connect with your audience, as they say, and being able to find out, you know, where they are, where they hang out, you know, on social media, um, and, and those kinds of things. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, no, that literally hits the nail on the head. That's awesome. What about for the OTs who do have something that they're super passionate about, but they've lost confidence or they're just not sure whether they can do this, whether they can bring this vision to life. Can you speak to those OTs for a moment? You have the best questions, Rhiannon. And I tell you, you definitely, this is, you really understand this well. Um, Confidence, I would say, is probably the biggest component other than the education aspect when I'm helping people with integrative health and occupational therapy. And I think part of, I think there's many reasons for that. And I don't know that we can address all the various reasons and, you know, in the short time we have here together. But I think that um, when I coach and work with OTs, I, you know, help, we get to the root of what is the confidence issue. Um, Where does that, you know, where does that come from? Is it something that happened with a professor years ago? Or is it simply that they don't have enough as much education as they think they should have. And sometimes we can get into the trap of even though we have education, we think we need more, 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 more. And the truth is is that we are all lifelong learners. I'm always learning. I learn every day. We all do. And so it's a matter of being able to, I would say, um, looking within yourself and maybe just getting quiet and maybe journaling or going for a walk and just noticing, why do I not feel very confident? And it could be as simple as, I don't know how to start a business. Well, then maybe pick up a a book on how to start a business. Um, I'll mention a book. I'm not affiliated with them, but um, there's a book. I believe the author is Michael Port, Book Yourself Solid. It was one that I read years ago. And it was very, very um, pivotal for me because it went through all these kinds of things that we're talking about, about how we can have certain um, lack of confidence or Uh, different aspects of a business and how to move past them. In fact, I used to join some of his live calls and I believe his father is a psychiatrist and he said that all business problems are a personal problem in disguise. And so now I'm not here to blame people, but what I'm trying to offer is that Yes, it could be that maybe the location isn't the right location. So there might be other things that I'm not saying that's always a hard and fast rule. It might not be always true. Um, but I think that it is important to recognize that that uh, how confident you are in getting going can help, can be a reflection of how well your business does. That being said, I really lacked confidence. I've really, my self-esteem has really grown in, in, in throughout these various years. Um, I would often feel quite stressed and sometimes even have anxiety when I would work with my clients early on when I was first starting out doing this. And part of that was because I didn't have, um, (laughs) I'll just go ahead and say I didn't have somebody such as myself who has already done something like this. And um, I didn't know how people would respond to what I had to offer. But um, week after week, month after month, overwhelmingly majority, if not all of my clients have gotten great benefit from what I've had to offer. So. I encourage people to also start out with maybe when you're getting going, maybe offer some of your services, maybe tell people you're getting started and you're looking for maybe four to six people 
who you want to work with and do they fit your criteria of the people you want to work with and maybe you work with them for three to six or eight sessions or 10 sessions and you offer it for free or at a discount and that you get feedback and then that way you can build your confidence with your skills and get feedback from people who are also invested in wanting to see you succeed and do well because most people want to help and they want to see you do well and that's a great way to to build that confidence as well. Mm, I can totally resonate with the falling into the trap of not having enough certificates and not knowing enough. The thing is, I hit this wall and I realized I am never going to know enough. There is always going to be so much more for me to learn. So if I don't dive in, I will just stand on that diving board forever. I'll never take the jump. Um, and the longer that you stand on that diving board, the harder it is to jump. So it is literally about just taking that step, just going, okay. I do know enough and, and really building up your own self-esteem and self-efficacy going, you know, I do know enough um, and I'm just going to take that first step. So thank you for sharing that. You're I'll welcome. And also you can just wade into the water. I mean, you don't have to, you know, dive in unless you're ready. You know, you can be gentle with yourself um, and try to enjoy the process as well, if possible. I know it takes, it takes a lot of courage and I, I, I applaud all of you because we need this in healthcare right now. We need all of us to really listen. I think, um, dare I say that if more healthcare practitioners listen to their intuition on how they were to best serve, we would probably have a very different looking healthcare system in the world. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now that there aren't good things happening, I don't want to sound like that. There are a lot of really lovely things happening in healthcare as well, but there's, there's definitely um, ways that we can continue to improve things for sure. Mm-hmm. I do want to circle back to one thing that you mentioned earlier on in this episode, and that was that you've cried many rivers. And mm. I didn't dive deep into it then because we went through our train of thought on what we were talking about. But just before we finish off, can you talk about the, the many rivers that you've cried and you said you lacked confidence in the beginning. Can you talk about this? Because there will be a lot of other OTs who will be resonating or who are maybe in the trenches at the moment and going to bed crying or thinking of giving up. Can you talk to those OTs? Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, for everybody it might be different, but I can only speak from my journey. But of course I have counseled, shall we say many OTs in this area. Um, for me, like I said, there weren't a lot of people who are already doing this and still there aren't necessarily a lot, but it's, it's starting to come. Um, for me, it was very much, I think, around um, feeling separate, like I wasn't part of the occupational therapy profession, like I didn't fit in somewhere, that somehow I was, um, wasn't a good enough OT because I couldn't even get a network to bill insurance, like all these little things that were so not true. But I was telling myself because it was so new or because it was just a, a, another way of providing OT, which is how my professors encouraged us at St. Catherine University. They encouraged us to think outside of the box. And in fact, one of my field works was actually at a homeless shelter in Minneapolis. So, you know, I was always wanting to, to be in that spirit of, of doing things in, a, in another way that we can help um, in other populations that want to be served. And so they were just really ways that were um, I think true and what I was going through, but I think they were also part of me learning to love and accept myself. And I will say that at the end of the day, a lot of the healing work I've done with people through mindfulness, EFT, various forms of guided imagery and meditation, that um, a lot of our hurt and wounds that we experience in relationships, 
you know, whether it be an OT, however, we, whatever we project onto the world is often, are often things, maybe always things happening within ourselves. And so I would encourage all of you to be gentle with yourself, honor your emotions. Um, if you don't practice mindfulness or haven't ever done mindfulness meditation or EFT, I would encourage you to check those out. At least for me, that has been very helpful. Um, and also finding ways to still the mind and to be able to come into that part of that loving part of yourself, because we all have the inner critic. You know, I think as OTs, we're a very um, uh, passionate, some might say competitive. I don't love that word, but you know, in order to even to get into OT school, right? Not everybody gets into OT school. In order to pass the exam, you have, we all have to work our tails off. And so we're, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so I learned all the ways that I was judging myself and limiting myself. And now I'm, I'm learning to love myself and like celebrating like right on, I've been doing some awesome stuff. Um, but it just, uh, not everybody recognized it at the time. But, you know, it's important to recognize, you know, for you to recognize how much, uh, how wonderful you are and to love yourself. Mm, that I can imagine that will be resonating with so many other OTs as it is myself. So thank you for sharing that. Let's head to the three rapid fire questions. It's that time already. Oh my gosh, it just goes way too fast. Mm. Um, number one. So in one sentence, how would you describe OT? Okay, so I'm updating, <laughs> I'm upgrading my previous definition. I'm going to say OTs help people live with meaning and purpose. Absolutely, love it. Number two, what's one healthy lifestyle habit listeners can implement today? Hmm, I'll do a different one. Pick one way each day you can take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're not sure what that means, just quietly listen as if you were your own best friend. What would, what would make me feel, what do I need today? Do I need to feel more relaxed, more happy? What do I need to do? Um, what would help me to feel like I'm taken care of? Awesome. And then do at least one thing a day. Fantastic. Number three, if you could only offer one piece of advice to OTs, maybe in relation to business, what would it be? Again, follow your heart, um, but I would also say seek community because I think part of why I cried those rivers and part of why I think I felt so isolated and alone is because in a certain way I was, you know, as far as other people around me. So don't feel like you have to do it alone. Um, you know, find resources, connect with people, um, get the education you need, and maybe even create your own support group, you know, however, whatever fashion that comes in with your friends. Maybe you meet regularly or find some other OTs who are starting their own practice. Um, I offer a monthly group coaching. I'm doing one tomorrow. So you're all invited to join that. It's free for full members and there's a small fee for non-members, but, um, but yeah, that's what I would say. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emmy. Where can everyone find you? So please visit emmyvadness.com and holisticot.org. And, uh, we're all on social media, Emmy Vadness on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, same with holistic OT. Um, in retrospect, I would have just all made it all holistic OT, but on some of those platforms, it's holistic occupational therapy and some of them it's holistic OT. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emmy. You're an absolute trailblazer. You are a wealth of knowledge and I am super inspired by all of your work and can't wait for everyone to learn more about you and what you're doing.
Thank you, Rhiannon, and thank you so much for helping share this information. I hope it truly helps many people. Thanks, Amy. Bye. That's it, guys. I hope this episode resonated with you. But more importantly, I hope that it inspires you to take action. If you haven't already, come over and join our Facebook group family where we connect and collaborate. You can find us really easy just by searching the OT Lifestyle Movement in Facebook. If you did love this episode, I'd be super grateful if you shared it. You can take a screenshot right now and share it on Instagram or on Facebook so we can connect with more amazing, like-minded, open-minded OTs. The more we share the OT lifestyle movement, the more we can create a ripple effect. And if you do love the podcast, please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review so we can be found more easily. That's it. Go out, create the epic change that you seek in the world because the world is ready for you. Carpe diem, guys.